in summary, it's really three steps in selling. You got first step is what I call the discovery valuation phase. Just gathering as much information as possible about the business and um, valuating it, t telling the, the business owner, hey, this is where you stand right now. All right, so welcome to a financial planning podcast with the down to earth vibe Sasquatch listings while avoiding sending invoices. This is Through the Pines on this episode. We will cover selling your business uh, with business broker Michael Westover. Is broker the even the right word? I don't, I'm not sure the right word. Yeah. Is that right? Okay, business broker. Michael Westover of uh, Business Resource says Business Resource. Mm -hmm. How do you evaluate a business? How do you find a match? Negotiating the deal, which is basically your job, right? Signing the deal. We'll cover these topics on this episode of Through the Pines. Our advisors, financial advisors in-house here from directly from planwithbaxter.com, Baxter Smith and Associates. Oh my gosh, we got to, we got to go out. I got, yeah, that was a close one. There we go. Now I got Rex in there. <laughs> there, you guys look great. That's perfect. All right. Very good. Again, they are Forbes best in-state wealth management team for Utah. Also advisor hub, fastest growing advisors to watch under $1 billion and the receivers of the Ameriprise clients experience award. I'm still trying to figure out how they won that one. I'm just kidding. Congrats. You guys, that was awesome. <laughs> Baxter Smith and associates. So, uh, all right, we're here with Michael Westover, which Michael, why don't you just tell us quickly, briefly, cause we did interview you before and how you became, how you got this job. Cause we're talking about selling your business. But uh, did how many businesses did you sell before this became your job to help people sell businesses? Oh, that's a good question. I I've sold this year about thirty businesses. Um, last few years, I don't even know. I haven't added <laughs> it up. But Fair. I I quickly realized that I enjoyed it. That it was a longer sales cycle, so you had to have a lot of patience. Um, you're not you know churning businesses overnight or in a week or two, and so you have to. You have to be financially secure. You have to be patient. It's a, it's a long game, but I, I enjoyed it. I mm -hmm. Just doing a couple of them, I think I realized, hey, I, I want to focus more in this area. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's kind of just dive right in to the initial meeting. When someone calls you and says, I have a business I want to sell, what's the first step? Yeah, good question. Uh, and I get a lot of those calls yeah. because uh, there are a lot of business owners, but a lot of people most people have no idea where to go once they own a business. In fact, I, I just met with a guy who said, hey, my friend is literally just shutting down his business. And um, I told him to talk to you. And I said, well, what was he going to do with it? And, oh, he's just going to shut it down. <laughs> and I said, well, is he going to sell his, at least try to sell his stuff off? No, I think he's just going to keep it. And I said, how long has he been in business? 25 years. And so, yeah, people just have no clue what to do once they own a business. I, I think they're so focused on making it successful and not going under that when they are solvent and they are successful, they just kind of keep going until at some point uh, they want to move out of state or they want to um, retire. Not or do something. it anymore. Yeah. And they have no idea. So I get a lot of these calls and to answer your question, Basically, I'll, I'll say, look, the, the value I bring is I, don't, I work with smaller businesses that most brokers won't help. I don't charge upfront fees. I'll evaluate the business for free. I don't lock you into a year agreement like other brokers do. It's pretty standard. Um, I work well with others. Um, so 
there's a lot of advantages to utilizing me and frankly, a lot of advantages to utilizing any broker, period. Just to have someone in your corner to know what to do, how to proceed, dot the I's, cross the T's, not sell yourself short. Um, what people usually really want to know is how much does it cost, right? So I, that's why I tell them up front, you know, mm -hmm. no upfront fees. I get paid when you get paid. If I bring you value, kind of like a real estate agent, mm -hmm. then, then I get paid. Um, the process is really in three steps. Do you want me to move on to that or do you? Uh, sure. You, I'm all about it. That's <laughs> so I think it pertains to the question. I think you're on a roll. So yeah. <laughs> I, I think it pertains to the question because what people really want to know is like, what, what do, what's this look like? How does it work? And it's, like I said a minute ago, it is a long game. I mm -hmm. try to tell people up front, be very transparent with them. This is not an overnight gig. However, I still continue to take on clients. I just took on a couple, frankly, uh, a couple weeks ago that just need to get sold by the end of the month. And they're mm. begging, you know, oh, I really, my lease is up. Um, or a, another one is going on a mission in a month and a half. And I tell them up front, I, you know, this is not easy work. It takes a lot of energy and time and effort. But if they beg hard enough, usually I'll say, look, I'll give it my best <laughs> shot. But in a full, good tip for anyone out there. If you really just, just beg hard enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have said that out loud. Uh, but the, the more time you can give yourself prior to selling, the better. Uh, the, the national average is between 8 and 12 months for a business sale, depending on the industry. So I always say, plan on 10 months. I, my average is better than that. Uh, but you still need to plan on some time. Is, and think about, I mean, especially if someone's trying to get financing, you know, it takes time to even get the, even, even if we can strike a deal, getting the funding in place. And so I, I try to tell them, look, the good news in working with me is I'm going to take care of everything behind the scenes. It's not going to cost you a dime. If I bring you value, when you get paid, I get paid. And I try to bake in my commission into the price anyway. So it's really nothing off your back. It's, I, I separate it into three steps. So there's really like 30 steps in the process of actually like delineated everything uh, point by point. It's a lot of steps, but in summary, it's really three steps in selling. You got first step is what I call the discovery valuation phase, just gathering as much information as possible about the business and um, valuating it, t telling the, the business owner, Hey, this is where you stand right now. So, so what do you, like, what are those things that you're gathering? Is that just cash flows? Is it assets? Is it? Yeah. So financial statements, of course, yeah, your P&Ls, your bank statement. Uh, P&Ls being profit and loss. Profit right. and loss, summaries, generally annual summaries, taxes, uh, balance sheets, cash flow statements. Um, I'm trying to determine what, and, and this is really simple, but it's harder than you might think with a lot of small businesses, trying to determine what the business actually makes, what is coming into the, into the, the hands of the business owner and what expenses it actually takes to run that business. Mm -hmm. Because in small businesses, you have a lot of owner ad back expense. There's cash, there's Right. You know, the, the company's paying for the personal cell phone, the personal car, all, you know, all those things. And yeah. So home hard. improvements, right. trips. Yeah. And frankly, a lot of it can be legal. I mean, if yeah. you're, if you're on trips and you're meeting with clients, random client or making phone calls, uh, if you work from home and you're making home improvements. So I'm not saying that those are 
um, necessarily wrong. Most small businesses do a lot of ad back expenses, but when you're trying to sell the business, you want to show really what the minimum expenses are and what the maximum uh, uh, profit is. So how often, as you're asking for these statements, do do different people just come to you and say, hey, Michael, here's I'm going to add you into my QuickBooks or into my software just as a professional and you go find what you want because I, I'm probably not going to give you the right time periods. I'm probably not going to get the exact reports. Is that more useful to you to have no, access like that or is that no. worse? Yeah, I, know, I don't want access to people's books. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I feel like I'm super straight up. I got I have good posture. <laughs> yeah, for the yeah. There's a one <laughs> pillow. You want another pillow? No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't want access to their QuickBooks, but I will be clear about which reports I want, what time frames, And sometimes I get trailing 12 months because that sometimes I, I want it by month because so you can see the trends across the months. Um, things that people would, pr- prospective buyers want to see. They want to see, you know, what are good months, bad months. How does, you know, the the annual PL is great, but sometimes people just want to see what's it been since last September type of thing. But so to re, re um, to go back on your original question was uh, what things do you, do you want to see in the discovery? So yes, the financials are a huge piece of it, but also just basic business information. When did the business begin? When, you know, mm-hmm. is it an LLC, a S-Corp? What type of business is it? You know, where, where um, is it located? You know, sometimes business addresses will be, they'll be functioning totally in a different place as their official business address. So I have to get some technicalities, uh, housekeeping out of the way, uh, employees. Um, if it's a brick and mortar or even an office, I need to get information about the physical, um, uh, facilities, uh, the, the lease, the, is there a cam? Um, what is, what are the utilities cost? Um, I mentioned employees, right? Um, what about stuff that's not as, as tangible? So, uh, I work for a small business in town for a lot of years that has a lot of community engagement. Mm-hmm. And we had a great email list with, um, you know, they're basically the who's who of, of Ogden, you know, and they have a lot of um, people on there that are, that have a certain, they're looking at a certain thing to buy or whatever. So we kind of know who they are uh, there. And then there's YouTube pages and, and podcasts and stuff. And so is any of that go into the valuation or is it mostly just hard assets? Yeah. Good, good, great question. So you, you hit one other important one, which is your tangible or hard assets. Of course, those have value, those things have value, but the two pieces of the valuation that are harder to, to really evaluate are the goodwill, which is you know, your time in business, your branding, your brand awareness, your logos. Um, and then you have what we call your intangible assets to your mm-hmm. question or soft assets, I call them. Um, and those are your online presence, your email lists, um, your marketing materials. All of those things are very, pretty valuable in mm-hmm. some cases. And you can't necessarily, I mean, we can we can ask, okay, well, how much are you, did you spend on these marketing materials or how long have you been gathering these email lists or what are you spending per month on your CRM where you're gathering all this information? And a lot of times, you know, oh, the first two years we just put it in a spreadsheet and then Mm -hmm. we exported it into, so you can get some basics, but really I'll just follow my gut. A lot of times on these assets, if they have, if their online presence, their, 
They have a ton of reviews and they're good reviews over years and years and years and on multiple platforms. And they have social media and have a million followers. I mean, that goes a long way as opposed to, oh, I've got five followers, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been, I started it six months ago and have three posts. So there's very little um, value to that as opposed to something that's actually very established and people are getting these feeds and whatnot. So um, I can't put a price tag on that until I get into the business more specifically and look at all of the factors. But yeah, that the intangibles are, can be actually pretty valuable as, mm-hmm. as are, as is the goodwill, mm-hmm. goodwill as well. Do you spend, Michael, do you spend time in that discovery period kind of coaching them and saying, Hey, look, you're, you're kind of on the cusp of being able to increase your goodwill because your social media presence is here or, or your areas are here over the next three to six months as we're getting this ready to sell. If you can do A, B, and C, then we might be able to to increase your sales price by X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. So uh, business owners, sellers, really have two choices they can make when they decide they want to sell. One is they can sit on their hands and they can say, I'm not putting in any more effort time, money into this. As is. (laughs) Yeah. They can just say, I'm done. Why would I invest more time, money into this thing? Um, Sell it, you know, but I always tell them to your point, look, you can do what you want. And I have some people who choose to do that just because they're kind of, they've waited too long to sell. They've, they're burnt out, they're trunky, they're gone. And so you do the best you can with what you have. And, but what, when people do that, typically their business is trending down. They're, they're losing money um, every month. And it shows on the financial reports. And then prospective buyers are looking at the, the financial reports and saying, well, why would I buy this? It's going downhill. This looks like a bad investment. And so I always tell people, it's your choice, but your valuation goes way down when you choose to follow that. So conversely, I, I tell people, look, I know you've got, I know you're ready to sell, but look, we've got three months, possibly six months. Who knows? It could be eight months. We've got some time here. What I think of, put yourself in the shoes of a prospective buyer. You know what's wrong with the business, right? No, by the way, no business is perfect. Every business has issues. If a business says they're perfect, they're lying. If they say they're close to perfect, they're lying. Even well-established, impressive businesses are kind of a mess in a lot of ways. And so business, I'm going to, I'm going to change our tagline. Baxter Smith and associates. We are not perfect. We're not, <laughs> kind of a mess in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's true. And so if, um, if they can put themselves in the buyer's shoes and say, Hmm, I would really rather have this kind of, this little piece, this nugget over here taken care of. I've been putting this off for two years. I'm just going to, when people do that, in some cases, they actually get re-engaged with their business and they, they'll come to me, you know, a month later or a couple months later and be like, man, I don't know if I want to sell anymore. I love my business again. And the difference a lot of times is simply that they've re-engaged with their business. They're not just on autopilot and they're trying to solve problems. That's what business is, is it's solving problems. And so when people do that and then all of a sudden the opposite happens, they start trending up, they start making a little more money. Uh, expenses drop, revenues increase. Um, it's a m- much more valuable business. So I would say most of my clients 
do the latter as opposed to the former, but everyone's different and I try to help them wherever they're at. But good question. I imagine that goes into the valuations. If they're growing year over year over year, the company's worth more, I would assume. It's more than just a ratio. Yeah. Think of it like the stock market. So when you're selling stocks, right, you want to sell when it's high. If you can time it right, (laughs) right? right, and you don't want to sell when it's plateaued or definitely not when it's starting to decline. Because the moment it plateaus, the buyer's like, oh, well, I know what to expect. But if you can sell it right before that and say, man, this has just been climbing up for the last two years. Look, steady improvement. Buyers get, you know, they start salivating. Oh, I got to have this thing. It's just, so timing it right. You, you don't want to, to that question, um, you know, I see a lot of professional, um, uh, like doctors and uh, people who have books of business or um uh, chiropractors or dentists, financial people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, well, in their, I think in their minds, they feel like they're taking the higher road. They're going to fight the good fight and they're just going to keep working until they keel over. And in most cases, they are, their businesses are declining because they're, they're secure. They're, they're financially secured. They're doing well. So they say, well, instead of working five days a week, I'm going to work four days. And then it becomes three days. Oh, I'm going to work just two days a week. And then by the time they get me involved, they want to sell their business. And their business has been devalued so much. I mean, it's still worth something. But frankly, they would have been mu- it would have been much better for them to sell 10 years earlier when the business was trending up. And then they could have been- Super interesting. They could have yeah. spent 10 years golfing. Right. You know, instead of working, anyway. right? Or finding another hub. We see that in financial advising all the time. You have advisors that kind of hit that that plateau, and they coast off into the sunset, and they're not really coming in all the time. They're not really sharp with the investment, you know, and 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 they're more just kind of gliding through, almost a, a quasi retirement, right? But what's scary is if you're their client and you've you know you're investing your well, like are they are they actually still watching the markets, or are they just kind of appeasing you as they? walk through the door, you know, mm-hmm. in those meetings. Yeah, those those are challenging because you you have such a close relationship a lot of times with your advisor that you don't want to let them go, even though you know they're not fully engaged and they are declining to that four days a week, three days a week, whatever. And and yet the advisor also doesn't want to let the client go because they feel like they're owing it to them to take care of them. And and so it's it's just a bad situation all around. And so it's, it is, it is interesting. Well, well, Michael, what are, what are two or three of the most common questions you get the very first time you meet with a client? Like I said, I think they, they want to know the basic process. And I I actually need to finish that question because I only made it to step one. But and secondly, they, this is why I like Michael. He can just yeah. talk. And we learned so much, and then we forget. Where did we even start? This is Sorry. great. Yeah. Sorry, I actually, I, I don't remember a lot of stuff. So, but I remembered that, and um, and they want to know what it's going to cost them. And yeah. like I said, at the end of the day, if we can, based on just basic and just intuitive negotiating skills, we can get we can bake in the the commission into the purchase price. And they can still get maximum value for their business, and they don't have to worry about any of the stuff behind the scenes. I mean, at some point, we have to bring them in front of the client and introduce them and have discussions. But man, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind, and people who try to do it by themselves have no clue what they're getting into, and frankly, are probably going to undersell themselves and going to make a bunch of mistakes 
a bunch of mistakes. In fact, even when even with some of my clients, when I, I try to coach them and say, well, don't do this, do this, and they'll still make mistakes, obviously, because you know, people will contact them and try to take advantage of them, and they just answer questions, agree to stuff, and I'm like, wait, what? They, No, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. Let's make sure we're having these conversations together, and now we need to backtrack. And um, if I may uh, uh, go off topic a little bit, it, um, I one of the values of having a business broker is having someone that can, I guess, I don't want to, I, I don't consider myself a bad guy, but when when you have a seller buyer situation, you don't want an adversarial relationship there. Mm. So sometimes you, it's a, it's a business transaction. Yeah, right? we got to blame you. Yeah, yeah. But, but sometimes if, you need to be a mediator, right? Some, between the two. Well, you might I. And, they think the buyer or the seller, whoever I'm, I'm representing a client. So they feel like I'm a mediator, but really what I'm, and I am, I'm trying to get a deal done, but I'm representing whoever my client is. Right. And sometimes um, for on purpose or not on purpose for good or bad, it, it's um, things go a little sideways and I have to step in and say, sorry, time out. No, that's incorrect. And if anyone's going to be the bad guy, it's going to be me. Because I don't want to put that client in an adversarial relationship because that transition of ownership needs to be clean and it needs to be positive and they need to be all lovey-dovey hug, hugs and kisses. And if they want to swear at me, you know, oh, that guy's a pain to work with. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, you, you just But you just made, made love happen. So, yeah. you know, you get what you pay for there, yeah. um, which, which is great. Um, what are a couple of things that you typically advise most businesses to do before selling? Is there any way to raise the value of the business within a few months? Or what are some things that they, that you typically advise business owners to do? Yeah, good, great question. You guys have good questions. I uh, We wrote them down. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologize. If I, if I repeat anything I said before... I don't. No, it's because it's important. Yeah. Yes. There you yeah. go. So Thanks, I, Rex. Yeah. <laughs> disclaimer: I don't remember what I said, but um, yes. Yeah, so, so I have a actually a, a list of twelve things that I I go over with my clients that will help them if they choose to invest in their business over the next. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's a month. But sometimes it's ten months. And say, look, it's up to you. But if they're invested, if they really want to keep raising the value of their business, because I, I have no problem raising that purchase price. If we list it and then I'm looking at the, the current financials, oh, well, I'm, I've bumped listings all the time up. Um, it's not always drop in price if they're not selling. Sometimes it's bumping it up. Um, but there are some quick wins that typically I try to hit first mm -hmm. on that list. Uh, and then there's... Uh, some things that take longer. And I always compare it to like a purchase or a sale of a home. You know, the, you know, you, there's some quick wins that you can do. You can mow the lawn, you can plant a few flowers out front, you can paint the front door. Sometimes some of those basic things will actually help the curb appeal quite a bit and raise the value, mm -hmm. uh, but they're pretty easy. And similarly in business, you can do a handful of things that will, I call them quick wins, right? They're easy. They, they will help. But some things, like if the roof is clearly in disrepair, that's why getting starting ahead of time, not saying, oh, I got to sell my business in a month and a half or whatever, it, it's hard to find the money to fix that roof and, and to fix the roof in that amount of time. Sure. So some of those things, and, and the, 
So we've talked about financials a lot. A couple of those 12 points have a lot to do with the financial setup of the business. Do you, so sometimes people are using QuickBooks or another uh, system. It doesn't really matter, but do you have a, um, a chart of accounts that makes sense? And are you consistent in your financial operations? Like uh, some businesses are just all over the place and they're, they're putting stuff into QuickBooks, but it's not consistent. So whatever system people are using, QuickBooks is the most common. It needs to be accurate and it needs to be good so that people can, we can explain away some of the things we were talking about before. Like so the, update your financials, essentially update yeah. your financials. Yeah. yeah. Accurately. Accurately. And yeah. you hit on another one with the, um, thanks for translating. Sure. By the way. <clears throat> um, you hit on another one with the client, the customer information, those mm -hmm. lists are mm -hmm. super valuable. If you have people's names, their phone numbers, their emails, that's critical information that a new owner can leverage to build the business that a lot of times current owners just really aren't using. They, they just, because they're so busy with status quo, um, they, they just aren't using it. So that does raise the value of the business, but that's another thing. Sometimes people need to, um, Maybe they've got a spreadsheet or something and they need to probably download that and pay a couple hundred bucks for a CRM, um, you know, and get all that information in an easily accessible, quick uh, format where they can filter and look at different, different options. You know what I mean? Um, so th those are two that aren't necessarily easy. I, I would say the, the CRM piece, if they've been keeping data, is actually fairly easy. Financials can take a little more work, obviously. Mm -hmm. and, and people, some of my clients, they'll have to actually backload data. They'll have to recreate um, years mm -hmm. of financials to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of baby boomers are now starting to retire. And when I ask them for reports, they're basically giving me their, their, um, their business bank account, you know, with all of their purchases, including their weekly Costco runs, you know, with their personal food, you know, it's just all over the place. And I'm like, well, this isn't, this doesn't really count as your financials, but this is what they have. I just sold a business. In fact, it is a custom barn. It just closed yesterday, but that was one of those situations. Business is great. Been around for 25 years. The guy's awesome. Um, but he had a business bank account and that's it. And you just put everything on the credit card, including you... personal stuff. It just makes it hard. How do you mesh uh, or make it jive, I guess, if you're going back and, and backfilling financial statements on, on whatever software you're using, how do you make that match with <laughs> I know, bank and I'm thinking, how'd they pay taxes all these years? And, yeah. And, and all of that. And, and I mean, cause it, to me, I'm just hearing, when I hear that, I hear just red flags, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, oh my gosh, two, two red flags, one you know, am I going to get audited because now all of a sudden I'm showing all these numbers in, in my books that if I get audited, it's going to show very different than what I reported. And two, if all of a sudden a, a buyer is going in and looking at, at, you know, a set of numbers and trying to match that up against my taxes or against a bank statement or something like that, and they're not matching, I mean, there, it seems like there would be a disconnect there. And so how do you get that to match? When well, there's often disconnects. <laughs> but I would say more often than not, the PL statements yeah. rarely match the tax returns. Okay. Most of the time. Does that make buyers nervous? 
Um, or I guess you can explain. I would say for small businesses, not not as much. Um, and I have to explain. I have to kind of find a people. small business really quick, size wise. What well, are you talking about? It, it depends. I would say for me, I when I think of small business, I think of under five million. Okay. But yeah, there's lots of different definitions under right. sixty employees or whatever. Is but, that annual revenue or mm-hmm. okay? Okay. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's a it's a sure. It's just a uh, right, it's an arbitrary number. Right? Arbitrary yeah. so, definition that I've yeah. that I've put out there. If you Google it, you'll get a twenty different ideas on that. But um, what was the question? Okay, so we were talking about the different things that people can do to sort of increase the value of of their business before selling. You have a list of twelve, and if you want to know them all, you have to contact Michael. So um, <laughs> you gave us two good ones. Was there any other one that you wanted to well, yeah, put uh, out there? One that's um, not necessarily—it's too late, probably, when you're selling. But I know there's a lot going around about branding. You know, branding yourself, mm-hmm. and and I think that works well if you're a celebrity. You know, <laughs> you're a, a athlete or a musician or maybe even a restaurant. But in, podcaster, yeah, yeah, podcaster. financial advisor. Uh, <laughs> we know where you're going. Maybe not financial <laughs> advisor, but in most cases, oh, yeah. when people have the business is Brandon Smith Financial, that makes it very difficult to sell when you're saying, "Hey, buy me." And then mm-hmm. people are always saying, "Your name is Bob. Who's Brandon?" Like for the next twenty years, people are going to be asking, "Where's Brandon? I want Brandon Smith." So if you name your mechanic shop, uh, it's Bob's Mechanics. Does that mm-hmm. make it difficult? Actually? That, yeah, actually, that's mm-hmm. not that's not advisable because mm-hmm. people are constantly looking for Bob, and now right. it's Jim. And so what I always tell people is, look, when you have enough time to do so, uh, and sometimes you need to change the logo, sometimes you don't. But you need to think ahead, and that's why I said, man, even five years in advance, like, and sometimes it's not, like, I I met with a a friend of mine who had a a business called Changes with Charles, and and he does um, physical fitness type Mm -hmm. stuff, and uh, has a gym, and I I basically said this, he says, well, what do I need to do if I want to plan ahead to sell someday? And I said- Drop the Charles. I would drop the Charles, and that's exactly what he did, and- the business hasn't been hurt one bit, and he's like, "Oh, great advice! Thank you so much." Mm. Because now anyone can mm. buy that business, right? Or if you're a buyer, change your middle name. <laughs> Legally change your name. Yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a mechanic shop near where I live, and in it is was known for years by this last name of the person who owned it, and uh, I called them, and and uh, and what's funny is that they both had the first the first name was the same of the previous owner and then the current owner. But the last name was, was changed. The last name was the name on the building that was there forever. And so um, while I was there, multiple people came in asking for the other, the other uh, Mike or somebody, the other, the, it was the other guy, right? And he was like, no, I'm, I'm the new owner. And they were partners before, but he didn't have a chance to change the name yet or anything. And it was very confusing, uh, but it didn't seem to affect business. But, and that was sort of a, they didn't broker anything. That was like, here you go, we're doing this. And they swapped it over. But I saw it in real time where it was very confusing with the clients coming in, wondering who owned it and what was going on and who's going to actually work on my car, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it gets weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there, there, there's three of 12 things. And there, if you look, go down my, my list with me and 
they're, they're pretty common sense things, but they're all things that really should be addressed. If you can hit more, 10 of those 12 things, man, you're in good shape. Yeah. You know, the more, the better. And just start working away at them little by little as you prepare to sell. So in real estate, did you have a question or a comment, Rex? No, I'm just dying to know what the other two things yeah, are. Well, yeah, you got three stages. Yeah, this is. So I'm, just, oh. <laughs> I'm like on the edge of my seat to know okay, what the second stage, stage is. <laughs> well, in real estate, there is this thing called the MLS, the Multiple Listing Service. In business, what is it called? What do you do? How do you find buyers? How do you find some the the match? You know, finding someone to pick pick up a business. How do you? How do you know all these people that are looking to buy a business? Yeah. So that's actually step number two. So the first step is yes. the, yeah. the uh-huh. discovery valuation. Second step is the finding or the search process. And the, it's there's lots of different um, uh, platforms where you can list your business. Business resource, we list all of our businesses with uh, complete listings on each. We have a separate page for each listing. Um, those are mostly local Utah businesses. And it's spelled B I Z with a Z. You yeah. have to pretend you're in first grade. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's phonetic. So yeah. B I Z N I S. That's the educator in you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. People always remind me that I don't know how to spell, but thank you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, biz by sell is a big one. It's probably the leading, um, uh, listing, uh, source out there. Uh, uh, LoopNet, BizQuest, there's some specific to e-commerce companies. There's a handful of those. Um, even on KSL, I, I even post things on KSL. You'd be surprised how many, um, how many, how much interest we get just off of. Local I was listings. when I looked at your page and I'm running through the different businesses. I was shocked to see the variety of the types of business. I would have never have guessed that there's that many types of businesses out there that they're looking to sell gerbil cleaning business, you know, like <laughs> really? whatever. No, there's oh. no, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but there's some wild multi-million dollar, multi-million dollar business. Yeah. There's, <laughs> it just was interesting that there was so many different types of businesses out there mm-hmm. for sale. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We do a wide variety, uh, e-commerce, brick and mortar, both. Um, is there a type of business that has a good, a higher resale value than another business? Um, yeah, good business. <laughs> a well-established, business. a well-established, yeah. profitable business. Yeah, they. I, I've sold businesses that have like zero assets, like literally, like a computer, like have no tangible assets. Mm-hmm. But the intangible assets, the goodwill, like um, part of goodwill, we didn't really talk about other than you. You have your branding, your time in business, your brand recognition, but IP, your intellectual property. Sometimes these. Um, software business has a very unique, um, coding, you know, to their, um, they have very, they have trademarks, patents, those types of things that are super valuable. And so, um, those, those businesses can be very expensive, even though you're not really, you're literally handing them a computer saying, good luck, but it's valuable. Mm -hmm. So again, with the match and finding somebody you have a, a web page that you put up all your businesses, but do you also have sort of a list of names or contacts that you're like, oh, hey, I found a business that this might work for you, and then you call those people? Yeah, so so of course. So we have a CRM, and we have thousands and thousands of of people that we don't um, we don't mass email. I, I pride myself in not doing that. We don't 
I hate it when I get those things. But when we get a new auto shop, for instance, that's for sale, we can go into our CRM and say, oh, here's a couple hundred you know, or more people who have looked at auto shops in the past. We sold several, but only, let's say we have five auto, we've sold five auto shops, only five of those 250 people actually purchased it. So what we'll do is we're, we'll circle back with those people because one of the, sometimes we'll even do it uh, preemptively before listing it and say, hey, because you're a valued you know, customer, we've talked before, just wanted to let you know this is going on the market. You kind of get first dibs at it <clears throat> very rarely. And I can't even think of one case where someone's gotten mad at us for reaching out to them and saying, hey, the, not sure if you're interested, but here's another auto shop that that's coming on the market. Most of the time people say, A, oh, thank you, super interested, or B, let me think about it, or C, I'm not in the market anymore, I already purchased something, but no one's ever mad about it. So. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's the famous pocket listing strategy of real yeah. estate, right? Is, is here, I'm going to, I'm going to let you have a peek behind the curtain before anybody else does. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, most, most buyers love the exclusivity of being part of that club, whether they're interested in that deal or not. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I can see that. Conversely, we I get people calling me every week who have just kind of put me, I don't know if I'm on their Monday morning call list or something. <laughs> There's my yeah. what you got? Yeah. What new things have you got? And I'm yeah. always like, check the website, you know? But no, seriously. <laughs> but there'll be but there are some things that we haven't even put on the website yet, mm -hmm. you know, that we haven't listed yet. And generally we'll put things on the our website first, even before we go to Biz by Cell or some of these other loop nets or or wherever. But um yeah, people know that hey, there I can I can point out for them what businesses are are valued, you know, properly, which businesses are overvalued, which businesses are good deals, and what what which businesses are really kind of fire sales. And that's people are like, what do you got? Mm -hmm. Tell me what you have. And I'm happy to spend a few minutes with them and point people in the right direction. When you're when you're selling the business as part of your strategy, is there a pattern or a trend to where it's you get a better pricing from those pocket listings versus the competitive go ahead and post it first and and get the the competitive juices going have you found a pattern does that's save, better does it save me money no what? does it make the seller more um in the long run to to sell it through a pocket listing through you mm -hmm. versus selling it through you and just having it publicized first mm -hmm. and not giving anybody a, a early peak yeah no i if if it helps expedite the deal, if it speeds up the deal, like I said, sometimes these can take a long time. If it saves me work from putting a bunch of listings up and allows me to sell it fast, great. But is there a the pattern sell, the for the great. seller to make more money one direction versus the other? Or uh, no, no real? they just need to engage me. They just need to choose me, I guess, because <laughs> okay. that's what I do. Yeah. Sorry if I wasn't it, se it seems like it would be a lot like, I mean, you've got the valuation, you know what the business mm -hmm. is worth. You've probably talked about that, obviously, with the business owner. And if you can come to an agreement, even if that sneak, you know, peak guys, like, hey, I can give you this. I know, like, man, when I'm selling a car, because I, I never traded in, I actually sell it. But, man, sometimes it's like, yeah, fine, whatever. You know, <laughs> like, whatever it takes, I'm sick of doing this. And so Get I'm down. sure, you know, the business owner, that can be a win for them, too. If like, wait, really? I can get a listing, right? Is that, I, I'd imagine. Yeah. Lot, lots of times people come to me, just maybe they've tried it on their own and they haven't gotten anywhere. Um, and maybe I'm not understanding you correctly, but, um, also 
to, to your question as well, um, I can list it on the website and say, go ham with this. Go, you, you might be part of some weird Facebook group that I'm not a part of mm-hmm. that I can't get in because I don't sell gerbils or whatever. Yeah. You're in the gerbil group. And so <laughs> it's, big, take, it's a big group. Yeah. Go, go post my listing there. And sometimes business owners will do that and get quite a good, quite a bit of uh, feedback just from these separate groups. So right. yeah, before we go crazy putting stuff on all these listing sites and social media, lots of times we'll just start with the people we know and the people they know. Because there's a cost to the listing sites. There is a cost, but we're pretty much paying anyway for all these different listing sites. Oh. And so, you know, I, I pay for a number of listings and so... Yeah, I guess if I'm at at my um, limit, but uh, so so other than just saying, "Hey, Mike, what would be the best way to move forward?" You know, step two is to to search, right? Is to match make, and so and that includes uh, NDAs. But there's different ways you can do non, that. Non disclosure agreements, right? Yeah, the yeah. non disclosure agreements before sharing uh, more. Um, specific uh, information about the business. Obviously, the listings will have a bunch of information, but more detailed, especially financial information, people need to sign those non-disclosures, which basically states that you're not, whoever's receiving all this information about the business, it's for the purpose of purchasing the business and that they can't share it with, uh, they can't use it against them in any way. They can't share it with other people without permission. So it's, it's a simple... It's just a tool to try to keep people honest. Right. Well, fun thing we do here on the show, Michael, is a little something called s'more numbers, like s'mores, only numbers. So, Brandon, what do we got for s'more numbers? Yeah, so kind of some interesting stats. Um, First Trust uh, did put this out, and, and uh, you know, the the national debt has been a big topic lately, and, and how do we solve that, and are we in a crisis mode, and and uh, that that could be a whole podcast, which should be fun to kind of talk to. Um, but but one of one of the solutions that's put forward, really, there's two solutions, right? We either spend less or tax more, right? And and um, I thought this was interesting. So First Trust put this together on you know the taxing more. So they said if the government were to seize the combined net worth of the Forbes 400 wealthiest individuals, so if the government went out and they took all the money for, they found the 400 wealthiest people, and they took not only their bank accounts, but their investment accounts, their businesses, their cars, their yachts, their homes, everything. That would come to $4.5 trillion. 4.5. And Rex, what was the annual budget for the U.S. So for the, spending? Currently, the annual U.S. budget is $4.5 million. Oh, it's on yeah, the dollar. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You mean trillion. Trillion. Sorry. Trillion. <laughs> yeah. Trillion. Trillion. Yeah. Like, trillion. That sounds T. good. Trillion. <laughs> That's crazy. So four, the 400 people. 400 wealthiest. Basically match the national if you budget. Stole all, budget. If you took all of their wealth, it would only cover us for one year. Yeah, um, then then you're screwed the next year. And and, and the U.S. debt is at $33.67 <laughs> trillion. So that doesn't work. So it, let, let's say we, instead of that, we increase the marginal tax rate on the highest tax rate. So right now it's 37%. We increase that from 37% up to 100%. Whoa. So, so basically you can only make so much in this country. Once you hit a certain amount, everything else gets taxed. Um, if they were to do that, it would actually impact 922,000 taxpayers. So quite, quite a large group. Um, 
And based on the most recent data available, which is the 2020 tax year, that change would generate $580.7 billion. $580 billion, close to uh, half a trillion dollars if we raise that. Now, the, the problem with that is you're going to change lifestyles, right? Mm-hmm. People are going to reorganize, restructure, move, do all sorts of stuff. And so stop trying. Right. And stop, try, stop making money. Right. And so it's not really plausible, but I think what it illustrates and what is interesting to me is, is how much of this needs to be a spending. You know, the solution needs to be in how much we're spending and reducing government spending rather than increasing taxes too much. Right. Because there's, you can see there's just not enough bandwidth to, to tax, increase taxes our way out of it. Man, you can go get into the weeds on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I tell yeah, you. We could. Yeah. We could dig deep. Yeah, good numbers, good numbers. All right, so to wrap things up here, Michael, you found your buyer, um, you found the valuation, you found the buyer for this business, and now you got to sign the deal, you got to draft some documents, I'm assuming. You probably do like an open house. This is having a good time. Uh, How do you hand this over? Like, what's the process there? Yeah, so that third step is really what you just described. I call it the the technical side of it. It's the, well, once you have your buyer and you've kind of, they know what the purchase price is, everyone's happy, the seller loves the buyer, buyer, everything's looking good, you still need to negotiate. And that negotiation can, I'm in the middle of it now with a couple pretty decent businesses and it can get a little hairy. Uh, Everything could look, you know, roses and rainbows and then goes downhill really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, So the technical things, the details do matter. And so that negotiation is, I would say, the first part of that last um, step. And then once we come to an agreement, and there may be um, some, uh, I call them soft offers. So instead of just putting out a a letter of intent, usually you want to just put out a soft offer and say, look, this is what we're, and if the seller agrees to it, great. If not, there's usually um, back and forth, right? There's counter offers. But once everyone's agreed, then you do the letter of intent with the letter of intent I always, uh, almost always am uh, successful at getting a deposit. I always encourage my sellers, do not, uh, do not move forward without some kind of skin in the game because they, you can give basically all your business secrets away and waste. And if there's no time frame, like there's always in the a letter of intent, there's going to be a time frame specified. But if there's no money to, tied to that, then, and I can give specific examples of where the seller said, no, I don't want to do a deposit. I want to keep it on the market. But then they, everything's been, it's a lot of work doing the due diligence piece of this. And, and people can just draw it out month after month after month after month. And it's because they're not tied. There's no money on the table. And so the LOI deposit during the, the due diligence period, which is between the deposit and the purchase agreement, and that period can be two weeks, a month. But um, it's where, you know, buyers can dig in a little deeper into the financials, into just the basic uh, operations of the business. And then, of course, you have the closing. Uh, Everyone has to agree on the purchase agreement. There's some usually some negotiations that go back and forth on getting on the same page on the language verbiage of that. But once everything's signed, payments made, um, you have sometimes you have to use an escrow uh, company. So there's some a lot of technicalities in this third mm-hmm. step. Mm-hmm. There there is that handoff, that transition, and I always encourage my sellers to have a very as detailed as possible of a transition because some buyers will just um, 
take, take, take. <laughs> if they say, oh, well, this transition is going to take three months and I need you for three months and it's in writing and you haven't specified what that means, you know, then they can just be calling you all day, every day for three months, expecting full-time work mm-hmm. as part of the, part of the deal. And, you know, it's better to say, oh, well, I'll work full-time for a week or two to help transition. And the next two weeks I'll work part-time. The next two weeks I'll work on Fridays. The next two weeks I'll be uh, on call. So I always recommend that that transition be very clearly outlined, delineated in the purchase agreement itself. And, and then everything tends to go, when, when things are explained and clear and transparent, things tend to go better. And so the LOI, the letter of intent, the purchase agreement, all of this is super important to having a clean transition. If I'm a seller, what's a what's a typical deposit that I should be asking for? I always ask, ask for ten percent. The SBA, if if people are trying to get SBA financing, they'll they'll require ten percent. And so I always sometimes sellers will agree to five percent or something, but okay. count on ten percent up front. And then when the business is transitioned, is it all all payable on day one, or is there ever any back end payments, or is it? It depends. We I just did a deal, the one I referred to, where they want to to mitigate their taxes. They they're taking half of it now, and they're taking half of it January fifth, which is super smart to try yeah. to yeah. you know avoid getting losing all of your money when taxes. There's seller financing that some business owners uh, will agree to, and that can help with taxes. You know because it's it paid over time, but it's super risky. Right. Um, so it, it really depends on the details. Sometimes it's a bit of both, you know, cash at closing and some seller financing. Sometimes it's split up into payments. You know. So I always think that's really interesting, especially on the on the tax front as you're separating it out in this example, right? Part today, part January 5th. Because I think it's so important to partner with their, with their accountant, with their CPA, as well as with their advisor, just because if taking half of it this year puts them in the very top tax bracket anyway, and taking the other half is going to put them basically in that top tax bracket again next year. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, a lot of times clients think that they're saving money because they're spreading it out of both years mm-hmm. uh, as far as that payment. But technically, they're both still in the top tax bracket. Then it doesn't. Then get it all up front. Then do it all at the same yeah, time, right? So I, people ask me all the time uh, you know, for tax advice, and I always tell them, I can't <laughs> advise you. I don't know. I, I don't know where you're at personally or you need to talk to your accountant, but sometimes they do. They actually do. And sometimes they come back and say, oh, my accountant suggested this. And I said, sounds good. You know, but so how, I can't how say. How closely do you work with their accountants or other professionals through this process out of curiosity? Um, I wouldn't say super closely, mostly just trying to get, mostly emails usually, sometimes jumping on calls, trying to get things figured out. But if if we can share the documents, you know, that's usually good enough. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Michael, that was fascinating. I appreciate it. Um, again, business resource the website with a Z somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> if we want to find you, also a Facebook page. You can look up business resource and uh, get a hold of Michael Westover if you are thinking about selling a business or you want to buy a business, right? You represent both sides, I'm assuming? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, also here in studio with us, Rex and Brandon with Plan with Baxter.com, Baxter Smith and Associates. I think that's a wrap. Yeah, new, new name coming eventually, apparently. New name coming. <laughs> I'll throw it out there. So there it is. Uh, this has been Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams. <laughs>